Introduction The French philosopher Paul Ricoeur wisely noted that symbols are specifically designed to be provocative, to give rise to or provoke thought. As a professor of world religions and Christian history, I've always been curious about the rites and rituals of the ancients, as well as those of faiths other than my own. Symbolism possesses me. It absolutely provokes me. And as the language of ritual is specifically symbolism, I crave a knowledge of what symbolic acts, gestures, covenants, and clothing mean in my own faith as well as in the faiths of others. As the reader will shortly discover, this book is somewhat unique in its approach and content. Its audience is primarily practicing Latter-day Saints, and yet its focus is essentially ceremonies that are non-LDS in their origin and practice. Indeed, gathered between the covers of this book are a variety of rites, rituals, ceremonies, and sacraments that hail primarily from ancient and modern Judaism and Christianity. I've intentionally avoided much discussion of rituals that are uniquely LDS, primarily because it seemed wise to keep the sacred ceremonies of the Restoration secret. This is not to say that the rites that will be discussed are somehow void of sacral content, or that we should respect our own rites, but not those of another's faith. On the contrary, that which is sacred to the participants of a given faith should be treated as such by those outside that faith. However, the rituals and ceremonies that will be discussed herein are published rites, which I believe are illustrative of the symbols Latter-day Saints would do well to understand. Mormons are traditionally not an extremely ritualistic people, at least not in their Sunday worship nor in their day-to-day lives. Consequently, some find very little meaning in liturgy or ritual. Indeed, some saints struggle to see symbolically, per se. One LDS scholar suggested that we Latter-day Saints, quote, have become an asymbolic society, and as a result, we do not understand the power of our own rites of passage, close quote. This same source added that most of us make little effort, quote, to understand the meanings of our own rituals or what ritual behavior implies, close quote. Consequently, we fail to, quote, comprehend or internalize the messages contained in ritual symbols, close quote. In support of this sad claim, I recently delivered a lecture at a university on the subject of interpreting symbols in art. Immediately following the lecture, I was approached by one of the attendees who expressed concern that she had always seen things quite literally and thus had ever struggled to find symbolic meaning in the ceremonies and rituals of the church and its ordinances or rituals. Almost in a spirit of pleading, she asked, how can I get myself to see the symbols and find meaning in them? The pages of this book are devoted specifically to the task of helping that sister and others like her to more successfully see symbolically and thereby find personal application in the rites and rituals of the restored gospel. We too often assume God will just give us the meaning of the symbols that overlay the rites and rituals we participate in. Like Oliver Cowdery, we naively take no thought save it were to ask him for understanding, DNC 9-7. However, if we expect to learn and understand the symbols of the ceremonies, like Oliver in his efforts to translate, we too must study it out. We should put more time and effort into understanding what we experience in rituals, time contemplating those rites, both before and after we participate in them. Rather than just participating in the ordinances, we should engage in study and contemplation over their message and their meaning. Then God will be able to teach us from on high. But to assume God will reveal the meaning of the symbols without a concerted effort on our part is to be naive. Only after paying a personal price can we expect God to open the windows of heaven and pour out understanding beyond our own. I must make a rather important point germane to this particular work and its intended purpose. Over the years, Desert Book and the Foundation for Ancient Research and Mormon Studies have produced a number of popular apologetic texts, such as Donald W. Perry's Temples of the Ancient World or Hugh Nibley's Mormonism and Early Christianity. As a follow-up to Perry's book, he and Stephen D. Ricks edited a volume entitled The Temple in Time and Eternity. 
Nibley produced other similar works on the temple, such as The Message of the Joseph Smith Papyri and Egyptian Endowment and Temple and Cosmos. These are but a few of the plethora of works that Latter-day Saint scholars have produced in recent decades, each highlighting parallels between ancient Christian or Jewish rites and Latter-day Saint restored temple rites. Each of these aforementioned works are apologetic in their focus. Though this text may have a seemingly familiar style, it is decidedly not apologetic in its purpose. This book is about symbolism, and each of the examples offered herein have been presented not for any apologetic value, but for their symbolic merit only. I ask that the reader keep this in mind as he or she reads, lest any misunderstanding of intent arise, and the reader inadvertently slide into the practice of parallelomania, a danger ever present in the field of apologetics. As a matter of approach, where possible, I've sought to be non-dogmatic about the symbolic meaning of the various rites and rituals discussed in this book.